Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. For my yoga teacher friends who are interested in working with the pregnant population, Prenatal Yoga Center offers an 85-hour Yoga Alliance certified program based on our three-pronged theory of prenatal yoga, asana, education, and community. Once a year, we hold our three-month immersion program in New York City. For those who cannot attend this training, Caprice and I are now traveling to different locations holding our training at hosting studios where we will spend six days working together, exploring and learning about prenatal yoga. This training consists of more than 50 hours working together. We also created a whole membership website with more than 20 videos corresponding directly to the manual you will receive. For more information, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. Hope to work with you soon. Take care. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're talking about a very important topic, child-proofing your marriage. So while starting a family is incredibly exciting for many, and the addition to this new family can greatly shift the status quo of the relationship for the existing couple. So today we're talking with Michelle Kinneric, licensed clinical psychologist and mother of two young children, about child-proofing your marriages. Michelle has worked with hundreds of couples and led workshops about how to adjust expectations, roles and responsibilities and still continue to secure and build the foundation of the family, which is the relationship between the parents. So I'm so excited to speak to Michelle about this. She came on a few months ago and spoke about postpartum depression. So she's truly a wealth of knowledge. And as Michelle and I were talking about before taping, that I think this is one of those issues that I know when I get together with my my girlfriends and we all have kids, we do kind of overly complain about partners and responsibilities and issues. And as Michelle pointed out, we have to stop complaining and actually do something about that. So she's here today to help us do something about that. So welcome, Michelle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks, Deb. I'm really excited to be back um, to be talking about this really important topic. So I'm going to jump into some of the questions that you and I talked about. So how old is the child when you typically hear parents starting to have some problems connecting and dealing with their relationship with this new budding family? I would say that it really varies, um, but it can be pretty immediate. Um, You know, we did talk about postpartum depression a few months ago, and postpartum depression or even baby blues could sort of kickstart some difficulty in the couple. Um, In addition to that, the difference in parenting styles, uh, you bring the baby home and all of a sudden you sort of see what your philosophies are and they might not line up, could be problematic or at least uh, begin building a resentment, lack of sleep. Lack of sleep is like, like a killer of all. Um, and also, as I said, the changes in the mood, and it doesn't have to be just the person who carried the baby, but the changes of the mood of the partner as well, um, could contribute to difficulty. I also see some trouble 
when the first partner goes back to work, um, whoever is the first partner to go back to work, this tends to highlight the differences in the couple, um, in the lives of each individual. Um, and it starts to make the person who's still at home see their life um, in a new way and feel maybe that um, feel a little less connected to their own self. Um, and there might be some jealousy there. I want to say also that parents start to see their relationship shifting, but it doesn't always equate to a disconnect or problems. Um, so some couples actually really thrive in the beginnings of parenthood where um, really they see themselves as partners in a new way and they start really working together towards a common goal in a way that they hadn't yet done. Um, it's really when one or both people in the couple start to feel like they're doing more or that their partner has changed too much or not enough um, that they begin to feel the disconnect. And for some couples, the disconnect may come in the toddler years when the parenting becomes more challenging and also at the birth of the new sibling when there's just you know more balls in the air and everyone is in survival mode. Um, at that point, the couple might take a back seat to everything else that's going on in their in each person's life. I can completely relate. I remember the birth of our first child with my husband and I. We were so I really actually have such fond memories of that because I remember sure. you know, it was so new and exciting and you know, if I was waking up breastfeeding, he'd often wake up and read me a like we actually read he read me a novel while I was breastfeeding at like three in the morning and I still remember that. Sweet. That was so sweet. <laughs> that did not happen with the second. Um but it's interesting that now that we're kind of in that two and five, that toddler with the younger. I see what you're talking about, that those are really challenging years. Yes. I mean, in my own personal life, I feel the same as what you just said, where the first baby, um, you know, I have fond memories of that as well, lying in bed with the baby and um, just kind of incorporating her into our world. Um, and then it was really the birth of the second one and the first few years of having two um, that sort of created some challenges for us. So yeah, I hear you on that. I think that is um, a common experience, but it's really kind of, I, I think people experience this shift in different ways. Mm -hmm. What are the general feelings you're hearing the mothers reporting? Um, so loneliness is a big feeling that I hear, which kind of goes back to the last topic of um, the disconnect, the belief that their partner can't really relate to them in this new role and some fear about how that will continue to divide them um, becomes something that they talk about a lot. Um, you know, either that their partner might judge them in some way, particularly um, mothers who stay home, uh, that their partner might judge them in some way that they're not doing enough or that they're not the same person they were. Um, so that loneliness is difficult. The fear, as I'm saying, is difficult. Anger is another feeling. And this is probably the one that you're talking about that you, when you're with your girlfriends, that comes out most. Yeah. Um, like the bonding and the, you know, my partner is, my partner is so terrible because, um, but, and it often manifests as like a resentment. Um, and that's huge. Also, there's some kind of societal, like, um, uh, like you, you bond about that. There's some kind of societal pressure to kind of bash your partner. Um, and so we kind of fall into that, um, that way of being, but underneath that resentment and is, could actually live like a real true anger. Um, 
moms talk about feeling neglected. Like all of a sudden this baby is here and they're less important than they're, than they used to be. Um, they're not being listened to, their needs aren't being addressed. Um, you know, that they're kind of, they feel like, or they believe that they're viewed as sort of, um, performative, like, uh, they're, they're filling roles or doing a job versus being a person and they're not looked at as a person anymore. Um, sadness I hear and not just in the depression but also just a general sadness like a futurizing that not seeing how this can get better so whatever is going on right now feels like this is it this is our new normal and that feels overwhelming and anxiety provoking and sad um and the last one I'd say is self-doubt which can also really look like guilt um, like, is this my fault? Am I boring? Have I changed too much? Um, what could I be doing different? What could I be doing better? Um, maybe if I were my partner, I wouldn't really want to be around me that much either. <laughs> um, you know, so some kinds of things like that. And obviously exhaustion, exhaustion in those early parenting years, just everyone is exhausted. Yeah. I wonder if that's just our society, if that's just general parenting, um, because that seems to be pretty much everyone I talk to, how are you doing? I'm so tired. I'm so yeah. tired. And I don't know, maybe I'm getting to a much broader topic and going off topic, but I look at the pressures of like, and the cost of childcare and schools and stuff. And I wonder if that's just an American thing because other cultures don't have that, but exhaustion seems to be pretty much the most prevalent feeling I'm hearing from people. Yeah. And it's a problem. It is a problem. Um, I also think it's another one of those bonding emotions. Um, so, you know, like how sort of bashing your partner is one of those bonding experiences. Exhaustion is another one of those. Um, you know, it, there and both of those kind of counterbalance the loneliness that you feel as as a new parent. And so we might just be kind of stuck in those in those emotions. So I'm going to kind of jump off a little bit from our original idea of this, but. So when you're talking about the general feelings moms are reporting, what time frame are you hearing this? Is this more for stay-at-home moms, moms on maternity leave? When are you hearing this? Um, all of the above, I think. Um, you know, definitely in the maternity leave and and stay-at-home and moms who stay at home. But moms who work also, I think all of those things. Um, you know, yeah, I, I don't think I can say one one more than the other, one group more than the other. I think it's sort of universal. General. Yeah. I actually find that when I work and not everyone chooses to work or would like to, but for, I find when I work, it actually helps take me out. Cause I feel like I can look at all these and be like, Oh yes. Anger and resentment. Oh yes. Neglect. Oh yes. Sad. Like, but when I get working, somehow a lot of that lifts. And so that could just be my experience. Cause then I'm interacting with other people, um, and feeling a purpose for myself and I do something I love. So maybe I just found, um, a way to resolve some of those, but I don't know if you hear any of that. I do. And I get it. Um, I, I also can sort of explain it a little bit. Um, you know, we can get stuck in roles, um, you know, get stuck in sort of the mom role. Um, and the mom role kind of looks like, well, it looks like whatever we want it to look like or whatever we believe it should look like. And sometimes it's the belief that, of how it should look that 
overpowers the way we want it to look. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you work, and it doesn't have to just be work, but when you have something that is outside the home um, that makes you connect to yourself in a, in a different way, in the way that maybe you used to connect to yourself, it pulls you out of that mom role a little bit. And then you can see the world a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And actually, in the topic of partnership, um, when the moms who are at home, either during maternity leave or during, or if they stay at home, um, or even the moms who go to work and identify more as the primary caregiver, um, when they are feeling so much anger and resentment, oftentimes what they're feeling anger at is the fact that their partner gets to move outside of that parent role when they go off to work, mm-hmm. um, or when even when they're at work and they're not, you know, having to take care of the childcare or the school visits or whatever that the you know quote unquote primary caregiver is doing, and so there's some like legitimacy in there that the person off at work does often or you know get to move outside of that parenting role and get back to that sense of ourselves that maybe some people at home don't get to have. Yeah. I actually cherish the fact that I still get to go into work. It really helps me psychologically. What are the feelings, the general feelings that the, that the partners are reporting? So we talked about the moms. Let's look a little bit at the other side. Yeah, so a lot of the same feelings, honestly, which is ironic because I think a big part of the disconnect is a lack of empathy that the partners have for each other. Um, but the, when I speak to partners, they talk about loneliness too. Um, they especially talk about that when they see their partners, when they see the mom taking control of the parenting decisions. And when one parent is at home while the other is at work, or even when there's one that identifies more as a primary caregiver, it's a natural thing that happens, at least to an extent, that they take control of the decisions because they're just logistically around more. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so many feelings that happen as a result. The resentment that the mom feels and then the loneliness and disconnect and feeling left out that the partner feels. Um, they don't always know where they fit um, in this, in the family anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how much are they supposed to, what are they supposed to do? How much are they supposed to contribute? Um, how much are their decisions counted? Um, you know, if there's there's been talk about the default parent, you know, if there's a default parent, then does that mean that the other parent doesn't get to make those decisions? Um, and that feels really, you know, in some ways that might behoove and benefit the partner, but in other ways it might make them feel really like, where is my place in this family? Um, neglected also. You know, where, what about my needs? What about, what about my opinions? What about my ideas? What about my, you know, what about my needs? What about where, what our relationship used to look like? And then some, and some partners feel really worried. Um, They feel anxiety, like they, especially those that have partners that are, you know, in some way depressed, um, either with the baby blues or with full-on depression um, or a full-on anxiety, a postpartum anxiety. They feel like they don't want to rock the boat, um, but also they feel like maybe they have some good things to say and they don't know where to voice, how to voice that. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. 
something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. I'm just wondering, is there a way for one, if one parent's more of the caregiver, is there a way to get a sense of equality in decision-making? I don't know. I mean, if, like you said, if one person's physically there, it's, you know, it'd be a problem to keep checking in with the other partner. Like I'm going to make this decision. So I guess it's just kind of the landscape of having one person more the primary caregiver. Yeah, but there has to be some conversation around how that all goes down. Mm -hmm. And I think that we, you know, when we go back to the idea of roles, like we sometimes just fall into these roles and we just do it. It's like we are dancing a dance without naming the dance steps, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so that we're not sort of saying, well, I'm going to make this, you know, I'm I'm around more or it's my job to – you know, to touch base with this one. And it's my job to make the doctor's appointment. Um, and, you know, the, so we're, we're just kind of falling into those roles without saying, hey, checking in with each other and saying, hey, how does this feel to you? How does this feel to me? Um, you know, a lot of parents will talk about if they have a sick child. And actually, this just happened in my own home recently, um, where they'll, they'll talk about this. And I'll tell you my own experience that I am a, obviously a working I'm a working mother. Um, My husband goes off to work as well. When there's a sick child, it's sort of understood that I'm going to be the parent who deals with that, Um, who, first of all, makes the call on whether the child stays home from school. Second of all, he makes the decision on that. Second of all, takes the child to the doctor. Third of all, stays home with the child or coordinates the caregiving if I can't stay home. And so just recently, um, my husband was home in the morning and my daughter didn't seem well. And it was of my, it was my opinion that she should stay home. It was his opinion that she should go to school because we happened to both be home. And what we forgot to do and, and, and we just kind of didn't talk about it. And in the end I was like, okay, well, my day is really kind of scheduled. Um, and this is kind of, we are, we're unsure and he thinks one thing and I think the other. So I'm going to bring her to school and if worse comes to worse, she'll go to the nurse and they'll call me and I'll come pick her up. And that decision was made, but really it was, even though he was home and we were both actively deciding and assessing, ultimately it was my decision to make whether she stayed home because 
I was the person who was going to bear the burden of keeping her home. And mm-hmm. I hate to say it that way, but that was the truth. And then we both walked away with a lot of resentment about this. Like, did he have the right, quote unquote, to make the decision? Um, but also, did I, you know, was I going to overrule him? And we both kind of walked away with this resentment about it. And then later on, I said to him, you know, I guess what we could have done is just said, we both have a sick child. Like, what are we going to do? You know, mm-hmm. what do we think is the best decision together, which is how we would have approached a different type of decision. But it was so laden with all of the who's going to take care of her and who's going to make the decision, all this other stuff that we brought to the table that was well beyond this particular example. Um, and I think that, you know, that is a way that that kind of manifests. Right. I hear that. So, but you did later come together and be like, okay, so we had a little disconnect. Let's try to work it out. Right. Okay. Exactly. And, you know, also we're like years into this. Um, we're not brand new parents right? and we have figured out how to not hold on to the anger and resentment and how to check back in with each other, but it's taken time. And I think that all new parents have to sort of know that it takes time. This is, you, you have to practice at this. Mm-hmm. Um, if there, it's like anything else in this, in your life, you're not good at it right away. Um, and you have to give yourself some space and anything new, requires new kinds of practice Mm -hmm. so we did we checked in with each other later and sort of looked at each other and we're like well what could we have done differently because why did we both walk away like this and who did it and you know ultimately we wanted to do the best thing for our child um so we were partnered in that but so why were we feeling so badly about it right Now, I think it's important the coming back to, uh, you know, like back to, so maybe there's a disagreement, but then later, once the ground is cooled, checking back in. That's a system that we do a lot. It is. You know, I think we forget about that, um, but it is important. And I always talk to parents about doing this with your children. Um, You know, I talk to parents of all ages, and I often talk about this with, like, middle school children and high school children, um, where... One of the one of um, an old school psychoanalyst, his name was Winnicott, talked about being a quote unquote good enough mother. And what he said was, it's important to be attuned to your child, and that's part of this good enough mother business. Um, but what's probably even more important is the ability to repair once you miss a tune, and that's really what we're talking about. So you can, it's important to do that with your children. And it's also important to do that with your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you feel like there is some kind of disconnect or misattunement or something that just kind of left you feeling yuck, um, you know, to go back and say, what did we do that we might want to do differently? Like, and how could we have done it? How could we have made this kind of feel more comfortable for both of us? Yeah, because eventually that same situation, maybe a little different, but that same scenario in some manner is going to come up again. So by the next time you do it, you're like, okay, remember what didn't ha- didn't happen well the first time. Right. Instead of just going into automatic pilot mm-hmm. and being like, well, okay, well, I'm the and, – and this comes from years of belief system that's like old beliefs. Um, you know, falling into those roles is – is kind of old stuff. And sometimes it's kind of unconscious that we don't even know that it's there. And the way we believe, what we think we believe might be different than what's underlying our belief system. Mm -hmm. So for me, you know, I am a working mom. I am very much, I, I 
believe that inequality. I believe that um, there isn't anything that a woman has to do or a man has to do. I don't want to believe in those gendered roles. But ultimately, like there are times where I just fall right into those gendered roles. Mm-hmm. And knowing that and seeing that um, is important and kind of unraveling those old school beliefs that we have based on the way we were raised, based on societal pressures, based on whatever it is that those beliefs come from. Um, unraveling them is really important. So in that scenario where, you know, should we take her to school or should we take keep her home? It's not just that I'm the one who would have been home or it's that that comes from years for me of kind of quote unquote gendered beliefs. Like I'm the mom and I'm the one who's going to do this. I'm the one who's going to make the decision and I'm the one who's going to stay home. So let's talk a little bit about the idea of roles. So how do you suggest the parents define and refine roles and find comfort in these new roles? Yeah, it's so complicated. Um, And there's these sort of obvious concrete roles that partners take on, like the person who stays home, the person who goes to work, the person who goes um, to work but comes home to relieve the babysitter, you know, the person who gets up in the middle of the night, etc. There's the unraveling, the underlying unconscious roles um, that maybe you know that are there for that are old. That's there from your old stuff, um, mm-hmm. how your parents were, or how your partner's parents were, and also really constantly having a conversation and evolving and changing and moving with the needs of your family as the needs change. And also as you start to feel kind of conflict in those roles or feel uncomfortable in those roles. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. And it's easy to fall into patterns and resentment involved kind of like a tit for tat. How can you describe why it's so, or can you describe why it's so detrimental for a relationship and then how to move past that? So we've defined the roles yeah. and we talked about there can be resentment, but I know I am so guilty of this, the little tit for tat, like I got up this time. Why don't you get up? And it's something again, we're, we're aware of and working on, but can you describe why it's so detrimental and how to get past that? Well, I think you said why it's detrimental. I mean, it builds up anger and resentment, Yeah, (laughs) Um, you know, and I think that really, and nobody wins. There is no winner in the tit for tat, you know? Um, And I think that why, why it's so detrimental um, or sorry, how we get so stuck in it and what, why we should move away from it is that when it's like when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So if your story in your head, your narrative is I do more, then the, all the evidence is going to point to that story being true. I that's do your more. reality. Your that's, reality that's, is I yeah. do well. So even if it's not the truth, if you believe it, that's what... It becomes, it becomes a reality and you miss all the other stuff. Um, because if two people are in a relationship and they're both sort of keeping score and they both believe that their tally marks are higher, then something is, a, is, a, is missing there. Right. Um, and so you're looking at the evidence that supports your hypothesis that you do more, but the, your partner's looking at the evidence that supports their hypothesis that they do more. And what you're doing is lost by your partner and what your partner's doing is lost by you. Um, and so it also, it's really like a lack of empathy. It's a lack of seeing your partner for all that they're doing and lack of understanding and feeling like, you know, 
they're they're there too, and it promotes this loneliness. Um, you know, it promotes a I'm in this on my own as opposed to we're in this together. Do you ever come in this situation again? I try not to pull too much from my background, but like I, there was one time I just said to my husband, like, I need you to do more. And he's like, so you're telling me I'm not doing enough. And I'm like, yeah. Um, so is it, how would you, and the next time that comes up, how would you reword that? Yeah. <laughs> because he, I mean, because truthfully I was kind of drowning in how much I was doing. So I was trying to, without freaking out, ask him right. for more help. But then he took it as, but you're telling me I'm not doing enough. Right, because, and you were kind of telling him that, but I think that, you know, for, for in a relationship, any relationship, you know, it sounds really corny, but the I statements are so much better than the you statements, right? Yeah. So, and not just because they are heard better, and that's a huge, that's actually a huge reason why they're better, but also because they garner more empathy for you. So you actually are helping your partner to hear what you want them to hear and helping them to support you more. Mm -hmm. So if the words are, I'm drowning here, I'm so overwhelmed. I feel like, you know, there's, I'm just, there's too much on my plate and I'm really struggling and I'm feeling sad and nervous. Um, and I don't like that feeling, then this person who loves you, who's committed to spending their life with you, is going to hear that so much more than you're not doing enough. Right. Okay. So I like that. I mean, I did start the conversation with, I'm freaking out. I need to do more, but that may have. (laughs) Right. Well, but what does that mean? I'm freaking out. Like, so when, you know, your partner might hear, I'm freaking out. I need you to do more as I'm so angry at you. Right. Or, Or I'm so like, I'm bubbling, I'm bubbling over with resentment as opposed to I am truly at my limit of what I am able to do. Okay. I hear what you're saying. That makes and, sense. The I statements. I try to use it with my kids. And yeah. as I was talking to Gwen, the manager at the studio, she's like, try using it with your husband too. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds really corny and it's also really hard. And then you get stuck with the you statements that are look like I statements. I feel like you're not doing enough. Um, that just cause you said, I feel before you said you're not doing enough <laughs> does not mean that you've done an I statement, <laughs> um, you know, an I statement really is, I am feeling sad or I am feeling like swamped or I'm feeling really nervous. I'm feeling like I have no time to do what I need to do. Um, I'm having a hard time. I'm really struggling. Let's talk about acknowledgement, because I know this can come from both sides. I've talked to a lot of my friends. I've talked to their partners. Sometimes the partner, uh, one of my good friends, her partner always said he feels like he's not getting acknowledgement for supporting the family. She was saying she feels not acknowledged for supporting the family on the kind of on the ground level, like getting, she has one child getting him around. So how do you, how would couples communicate about supporting one another through acknowledgement of their efforts? Listening. I mean, the first step there is listening um, because it's, it's again, the, the lack of empathy that you fall into in that is it's more tit for tat, actually. Like, well, I'm doing this. Well, I'm doing this. It's a one up, um, you know, like and it almost comes from, um, you know, if someone says, well, it will use your conversation that you just said with your husband. Like when you say, 
I need you to do more. And then he starts to think, well, she needs me to do more and lists all the things that she, that he feels he's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, in there, he's losing what you're doing and losing what your feelings are. Instead, he, and probably what first happened to him was he heard that and took it in as some sort of empathy for you and immediately turned it into like a, a checklist of what he's not getting mm-hmm. um, because that probably made him feel sad or nervous that he's not living up to what he's supposed to live up to. And if he does love you, which I know he does, then he's, then that's disappointing for him to believe he's not doing enough for you. Right. So like, but before you process all of that, what you start to do is, well, let me go to the one up position right. of, here's all the things I'm doing and I'm not getting acknowledged for. And so the truth is like the connection lies in the listening. Um, Okay. So tell me how you're swamped. Tell me how you're overwhelmed. Tell me, tell me what you're doing. Tell me what your life looks like. Um, And then I'm going to tell you what my life looks like. And it's not a competition. It's both of us. It's not an, or like it's a, and Mm -hmm. both in, we're both in the thick of it. We're both on, in survival mode, and we're both doing the things that we believe are the are in the best interest of the continuity of our family. And so, why is that? Why does that have to be a contest? You know, what if if really the joint goal is to partner and make your family work? Then why are we competing over who's doing that better or who's doing that more? Mm-hmm. So the resolution that we had was that he did ask me, he's like, okay, what can I do? Mm-hmm. After there's a little, you know, irritation of like, well, I'm not doing enough. Then he said, okay. Yeah. So yeah. then we kind of looked at things and I gave him some of the tasks. I'm like, I needed to, cause he's not home for dinner. And again, I'm, I'm saying this in a broad sense. I'm thinking a lot of the other women out there may uh, understand this in their life. So I said, you know, I come home, I pick the kids up, I start dinner, I start lunches for the next day, I start bath and bed. I said, it would be really helpful if you can, because he's a great cook, have some dinners I can just throw in the oven. That yeah. way I'm not starting from scratch. And that's been really helpful. That's great. So we did, after getting a little irritated, we did simmer yeah. down, communicate, and then divide and conquer a bit. But there's also in that you kind of acknowledged his strength, right? So here's something you're good at and here's something you can do that would, you know, maybe it'd be less of a burden for you and less of my burden. Um, But yeah, I think admitting that you need help or that there are, you know, that I think partners want to feel like they're they're viewed as competent. Mm -hmm. Um, And so giving them a allowing them space to do what they believe they're good at um, to help you and saying, actually, you are competent. I don't have to do this all by myself. Um, Here's some things you can do. And what do you think you can do? And like, what do you want to do? Um, What would feel right for you is a way to kind of work that through. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think a lot of moms um, sort of will take on, I, I hate to stereotype like this, but they might take on like a martyr role um, and just kind of try to go at it on their own and do too much. And then, like I said before, their partner ends up feeling pushed out and left out. 
and doesn't really know what to do and what to contribute. And then, you know, takes the path of least resistance. Like, well, if I'm not, if you don't want me to do this, then I'm just going to not. And they lose a sense of what they can do and what they're good at and what might be appreciated. Did you ever see the movie uh, Date Night with Steve Carell and Tina Fey? I did a lot. Okay, so there's a scene. I've seen it way too much if I'm (laughs) quoting it. Um, Where she's complaining about how much she has to do and that if she could be alone, she would just go sit in a hotel room by herself and drink a Diet Sprite. And then Steve Carell says, well, you know it would make your day a whole lot easier. And she said, what? He goes, me. Use me. I'm there. And so when you were saying that, immediately... I thought of that because you're right. There's so many times that I'll just take it on because I'm like, fine, I'm here. I'll just do it. Yeah. Instead of inviting my partner in to help when he's very capable of. So yeah. I'm thinking that, you know, is it a control issue? Is it just martyring it? Is it just not having the effort, you know, putting the thought into how can I use my partner? How can we work together? All of the above and also just the, like, Okay, this it's automatic pilot. It's running on you know on those in those roles. Um, my husband has said to me at times, "You just slow down. You're moving too fast." Like, um, particularly, in, I mean, in our relationship, because I'm a psychologist and because I help moms all the time, um, you know, I often take on the role of being the one who makes decisions for my kids around their social emotional needs. Mm-hmm. And I'll sort of say, and this started with sleep training. You know, it started with. Um, with breastfeeding, like right from the very beginning. And he sort of relied on me to do that. But the truth is that my husband's very psychologically minded and he knows my kids very well. And I think that he could do, he is capable of all that, but I was always the one who fell into that role. Um, And whenever we were doing like potty training or reward charts, you know, I would change the rules on him before I even, you know, I tell him the rules and then I change it on him and he'd say, slow down. You're moving too fast. Like I want to be a part of this, but you're pushing me out. Mm-hmm. And you know, his being able to communicate that was so helpful in our relationship because he was a hundred percent right. I was doing that and it wasn't intentional to hurt his feelings. And it was because that was where I felt it was my comfort zone. I mm-hmm. felt good in there. You know, I felt like I knew how to do this and it would came naturally to me, but also it came from all of those beliefs I had about myself as, as a mother, as a woman, as a psychologist, you know, and my beliefs about how parenting goes. And I, one of my biggest challenges and I've said it already is breaking down. You know, my mother was a stay at home mom. She was like, uh, the word I always like to use is she was a, constant mommy um you know it's such a nurturer she was always doing and you know for me like I have had to my biggest struggle is to been break away from that break away from that automatic pilot to be like her or the um break out of my belief about the how that how being a woman parent looks Mm-hmm. Um, and once I, as I do that better, it sort of opens the door for my husband to take some of those roles, some of those jobs off of my hands. I know we Does talked that, to, that makes absolute sense, especially, you know, the idea of how your mother mothered is going to affect how we interpret the role of a mother. I know we had talked about a while back when we met for coffee about control. And I know we hadn't really brought that up in this conversation, but you know, so sometimes Joe will say, well, what else can I do? And then there's times I'm like, I have a list of things, but at the same time, I kind of like to control things. So as much as I'm like, help me, help me, 
right. like, well, what, what control am I okay with relinquishing? So yeah. I don't know if you hear that or yes. I'm just a big control freak. I could just be a big control freak. Um, what are your thoughts? No, I do. I hear that a lot, but it also, you know, it, it contributes to that. Well, all of that stuff I just said about the partner, like feeling pushed out, feeling like, where do I step in? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, and the, um, the resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, there's a belief system in there too about what it means to be a good mom. Um, as my best guess mm-hmm. is that that control comes from anxiety around not being the quote unquote best mom you can be, um, whatever that looks like for you. And so I think breaking down that kind of perception in your mind so that you can understand that making lunch does not equate to good parenting necessarily, you know, um, that some things are okay to relinquish. Some of that control is okay to relinquish and it's still, and you're still adding up to the mom you want to be. Interesting. I'm going to get back a little to topic. So what are some tips for better communication? Um, talk, it's like talk better, um, not necessarily talk more. Sometimes talking less is actually better, um, but talking better. So the I statements, like, you know, this is how I'm feeling in this particular moment. Um, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And here's how you can help me. I'm feeling, I'm feeling worried about relinquishing control, but yet I'm conflicted because I want you to help me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like just that and God, that brings about so much empathy, um, as opposed to come on, help me, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, so though I'm feeling as opposed to you're not, um, Stop using words like always and never. Um, you know, you never do this or you always do that. Oh, come on. No one can listen to that. No one can. It's just too hard to listen to that. So in this moment, I am feeling like this is what's going on or this is where, you know, I'm feeling mad because it seems to me like you're not doing as much as I would like you to do. And I know this is a problem that we're having. And I'm sure I'm taking a part in this problem. So let's figure out how we can solve the problem. Um, you know, at any given moment in a quote unquote fight, it's okay. It's, it's like that there's, there's room for repair. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's okay to say, hold on, let's take a pause and like reassess what's going on in this moment because I don't feel good about what's happening and I'm guessing you don't feel good about what's happening. And how can we like talk nicer to each other? and talk better to each other. In fact, that actually is something I say to my kids all the time. Like when I'm all revved up or there, when, I mean, there are times where I'm angry and they're angry and I can just tell I'm not listening to what they're saying. And it seems to me they're not listening to what I'm saying. I'm like, hold on. Um, I think you're not listening to me. It seems to me you probably think I'm not listening to you. Let's start over. Um, and so that's something you can use both with your kids and with your partner. I like that. Yeah. Um, listen more. Like just, I have a lot I want to say. I'm going to say, here's how I'm feeling and how are you feeling? Um, tell me about what's going on um, because that's the best way to find empathy. And my experience, Deb, has shown me that both partners, I mean, they really are feeling very similarly. Um, the same words come up. And so... They're, but they're not necessarily communicating that. But imagine two people in a couple both feeling lonely, and so they could really understand each other if they would listen. Mm-hmm. 
Um, also, and this is like kind of relevant, it's a little bit to the sideways of the topic, but also important. Um, don't just talk about the bad stuff. Um, talk about, you know, I, I feel like sometimes, especially with when you're on maternity leave or there's a parent at home um, or there's a parent just that's around more often, they might call the person at work being like, oh my God, this morning was so hard and listen to all of the stuff that I went through um, and that kind of victim me role. And then the partner's like, I'm at work, I'm busy, I don't necessarily want to hear this, there's nothing I could do about it. And like, doesn't make the partner really want to come home at the end of the day. So don't just talk, don't just like complain about what's going on at home. Also talk about like, you know, spend a moment and call and say, oh, the cutest thing happened today, or I'm feeling really happy in, I'm feeling great at work, or I'm feeling great at home, and here's why, and I wanted to share it with you. Um, those are things that you would have done before you had kids. You know, you would have shared those things with your partner before you had kids, and oftentimes we end up just giving them the, like... The garbage. The garbage, <laughs> exactly. I remember... Um a workshop I went that you did right when Shay was born and you'd said, don't call up and just report your day. So Joey and I really took that to heart. It's been over five years we've used that, but we will check in in the morning. Sometimes he brings the kids to school. Sometimes I do just, how was your morning? Yeah. You know, how are the kids and kind of just a one or two sentences like, great, you know, tell me about what's going on in your day then. So we do just check in, but I really took that to heart not to just kind of spew all the fights that the kids and I might have had. And from the partner, from the person who's doing that spewing perspective, um, it's like you're the only person who really, who I can really share all these details with, right? Like mm-hmm. the, my, you're my partner, you're the co-parent, you're the other person who really will get this. And so I really want you to know. Um, but that partner also can get the delight and the loving stuff. And so it's kind of has to be balanced and, right. you know, and I get why you might want your partner to know all of that, um, and why it's important, but also having some consideration for what's going on on their end now. Right. That's why we limit it to like one or two sentences and yes. don't let it go on because truthfully, you know, he's not going to get anything out of whatever issue I had with one of the kids and I'm not going to get it out of the other thing. So I know we're running low for time. So let me just kind of keep plowing ahead. How would you suggest finding ways to reconnect? Yeah. So a lot of these things are going to sound really cliche, but they're so they're cliche because they're important. (laughs) Um, you know, making time for each other, time to just ask about each other's day. Um, the stuff that you used to do, um, being interested, being interested in what the other person is doing, um, spending a few minutes each day without judgment and complaints of just, you know, here's what my day was like. Here's some of the things I'm thinking about. Here's a project I'm working on at work. Here's some stuff that I did with the kids today. Here's who a new friend I made and, um, you know, in a, in a class or who I had lunch with, um, find time to spend that's one-on-one. This is so hard, um, but so important. Even if it's like watching your favorite TV show at the end of the night or just cuddling in bed for five minutes or 10 minutes, um, you know, there's a huge thing that we're not talking about and that's sex. Um, and I feel like we should at least touch on that. I know that, like you said, we're short on time, but it's really important to cut through that exhaustion that you feel. And, you know, sex can often in the early years of parenting feel like just one more thing you have to do, um, like one more demand on your time or on your body. 
but scheduling some time to, and this, this is always, people always like shy away from this because it seems really unromantic. Um, but scheduling some time is really important and it could be for scheduling time for sex, like a quote unquote sex night, or even just scheduling some time to like touch each other and rub each other, uh, look at each other, um, you know, look at each other and say, Hey, you look good today. Or I see that you got new pants or like, look, you know, squeezing each other's butt, like something that might, like you might have done in the past that you're so not connected with at this moment. Um, but people often, um, shy away from the idea of scheduling time for each other, like scheduling a sex night. And because they think that that's so unromantic, but in our very, very hectic, busy time, it might actually be the only way you commit to having sex. And what people who do do that find is that actually they start, okay, so Tuesday is sex night or Friday is sex night. And then then during the day on Friday, they might start thinking about um, about the other one in that kind of way. And then all of a sudden it becomes a little more romantic. So it's not just like a forced thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to get too for personal, but that definitely happens in our household. Like we know the weekends because during the week it's not going to happen because right. I'm working, he's working. So we make it a point to connect and we usually have one or two nights that we kind of go between. And it, it sounds, it kind of makes me feel like this old fart. I'm like, Oh, I'm this old couple. But if we don't actually attend to that and follow through, it could keep going on. So, and I have friends that have been like, Oh my gosh, it's been months. So yeah. we really make it and the right cut through the exhaustion. And I've had to get in my head and be like, Deb, you're going to like it. Just, you know, go, you know, I'm not a sex therapist, but sex therapists would tell you that, um, you don't necessarily like arousal isn't necessarily something that starts immediate. Um, sometimes you have to build up to arousal. And so like you're saying, you can, even if you're not in the mood, um, you might get there. Right. Um, And if, and look, I'm never going to be a proponent of like having sex without wanting to. Um, and you know, that's never a good idea, but you might get there. And if Mm -hmm. you don't get there, then it's like, you know what, I'm just not here tonight and let's try again, you know? Right. Yeah. But it's more, I like your idea because we, we do that, you know, like we know it's this day, but I've, I've have multiple friends that say they just never get around to it. That's kind of their word. I'm too tired. I just don't get around to it. So you know, we just try to make sure we're connecting on that. And so last little bit, because I know um, we're getting short, but what would you say to someone that's feeling completely overwhelmed by this phase of parenthood um, and just reminding them that it's a phase? How how would you deal with that? Yeah, well, it's a phase. I mean, so I said this in our last podcast um, that we did together. One of my mommy mantras is nothing lasts forever. And it's like takes me through everything, honestly. Um, just reminding yourself that, this isn't going to last. The kids will get bigger. You'll have more energy. You'll have more time and more of yourself to give to each other. Um, and so as you get there, some of this stuff will be much more natural. Also, you will have learned a lot more. I said that already. Like, you know, my kids are seven and a half and six. So I have a lot more time of practice with my husband than some people who have a six week old. Um, and this takes some time to kind of reconnect and rebuild, um, in a new normal. 
but nothing does last forever. This is not going to last forever. Um, and there might be some time where you're struggling um, as a couple. Um, remember the couple is another thing I'm going to say. In each relationship, there's you, there's the other, and then there's that joint entity that you've built together, and that's the couple. And you have to think not just of yourself, not just of the other, but of the couple. So what does the couple need to to survive and not just survive to thrive. And this is where that like scheduled sex comes in, you know, even though it's not romantic, it's not what you want. It's not what your partner wants, but it's what maybe the couple needs to thrive and not just survive. Um, start pulling apart your beliefs around marriage, around parenthood, around gender, all that gender stuff that maybe is getting in the way. Start pulling apart your beliefs around what it means to be a mommy and doing either what your mom did or what your mom didn't do. Um, because both of those things are acting in reaction to that, to your parent. Um, so start pulling apart those beliefs. And if you need help doing that, you know, any good therapist will be able to help you to do that. Um, because we bring into each of our and into each of our interactions all of this stuff that's old stuff, and we have to start to unravel some of that old stuff. And the last thing, and I've said it already, that is so important is listen to each other, listen to each other, and know that you know there's empathy that that and try to find it <laughs> you know try to find the empathy instead of the oh yeah you're feeling that way well let me tell you what i'm feeling mm-hmm. um instead of that it's like oh wait what you know you're feeling like that and i'm part of that um because that makes me really sad and i want to figure out how i can um support you better and also if i'm supporting you better then you'll support me better and we'll be listening to each other all oh, this is such great information, and I'm so glad I had a chance to hear it from you, and I've been fortunate. I have heard it from you in the past because I've gone to your workshops and we've talked, but I think this is really rich information for those in the thick of it, those approaching parenthood for the first time, just to know that I think if we don't actually attend to the relationship, it could start to, as you said, build resentments and just disconnect the family, and the whole reason that the parents came together is because they have that foundation as a couple. So I am so thankful and uh, just appreciative that you gave us your time. And is there any way, uh, is there any place that parents could find you um, if they want to work with you or just have questions? Yeah, I'd love that. Um, I'm in New York city. I'm on the Upper West side. Um, My website is NYC mom support um, my email address, I'm going to give you my email address, is mcanarick, C-A-N-A-R-I-C-K, dot P-H-D at gmail.com. And we'll, put, and, and, yeah, and we'll put that all in the show notes. So if someone's like, oh, no, I didn't get that, don't worry. Yes, we'll yes. have it there. You can reach <laughs> Michelle, hear her brilliance. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I work with, I work with couples sometimes. I work with individuals. Um, I work a lot with moms and I work a lot with families. And so, you know, I'd love to help if anyone is looking for, for that help. Oh, well, thank you so much. I know you had a busy day, so I really appreciate you <laughs> squeezing us in. And and we'll we'll chat again soon. And for those that were intrigued by everything Michelle had to say, check out her other podcast because she's got great information about the postpartum depression, whether that relates to you or you're just interested in that topic. And then lastly, for those that listened, please go on iTunes and Stitcher and rate and review us so that more people can find us so that they can hear this important information. Right, I'm going to sign off, but thank you so thank, much, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.